From the Finling Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield and Adam Hill, only on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on a Monday, busy Monday. Cofield and Company, Adam Hill, Steve Cofield, Ari is in our Finley Toyota Studios. We start out with what's trending at 2 o'clock. Adam, how much of the Masters did you watch? I know uh, you, myself, and JVT were all a little bit apprehensive going into the weekend, but I know everyone had money on it, so you know if you got money on it, you're certainly going to watch it. And interesting story, as we have a uh, barrier-breaking winner. Did you watch? I watched highlights. If you're asking how much I watched actual live Masters coverage this weekend, probably less than 20 minutes. Do your job! Well, tell people what you were doing during the Masters. Uh, Saturday was a UFC event during the afternoon, and Sunday was uh, the Golden Knights game during the afternoon. Sunday is acceptable. Saturday, eh. A daytime UFC card. It was great. Yeah, but if you're doing your job, your radio job, we're probably not going to talk UFC today. There may be a ton of Masters talk, and now you're ill-equipped. Come on, Uh, Adam. Come on. I was following along. I know what happened. And actually, I, <laughs> actually, I feel to like... The, to the audience, I'm busting chops because uh, we're actually going to we're gonna hit on the UFC a lot more than the Masters today. So, uh, job. Right, and I was doing, yeah, lots of jobs. But also, at the same time, um, I was following the Masters by just watching the live betting market. Yeah. Like, I literally had my phone open to the live betting, and you could tell what was going on just by how the numbers were changing. Nice. Were you the one last week who said the stupid jacket, or was that JVT? I mean, that sounds like a JVT thing, but I'm in agreement. Why is it a stupid jacket? It's a a lovely green jacket. It's an icon of the sports world. Yeah, I mean, I guess, and I guess the whole point is that why would you ever wear that unless you were a Masters champion? Like, nobody would ever just wear a green jacket. So that's what makes it so distinctive. Oh, Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I thought you were going to go down the, uh, you can't eat, you know, you can't love Rubens on... uh, or corned beef and cabbage on St. Patty's Day if you don't eat it the rest of the year. You can't enjoy turkey on Thanksgiving unless it's a regular part of your diet. True. Um, but this is different. I mean, this is – this is everyone knows if you see a green jacket, like, oh, that dude won the Masters. Like, nobody has a green jacket in their closet, I don't think. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I have, a, I have a green. I have a green holiday jacket. But it probably has, like, other things on it. Well, it's, good. it's like, you know, little Santas and stuff. It's a holiday right. jacket. Exactly, but that, what I'm saying is that, again, plain green, a plain green jacket is just not done by anybody else. So, so it's distinctive in that way, and you always right. know if you see one, like that's what it is. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a ridiculous item of clothing on its own. Did you see the shot at uh, one of the airports? Is this is Chicago? Or what is this? Yeah, I think it was a layover uh, in Chicago. Oh, fl- flight to Chicago, Hideki Matsuyama. Just sitting there on his phone. He's got the mask. He's got the hat. And then the green jacket is just kind of folded over the chair at the airport. So Draped over the chair. I'd be a little worried. I would leave it behind. That's my move. Not because I, mean, yeah. not, not I wanted to, but I'd, be, I'd get on the plane. We'd, be, we'd take off and be like looking around, like starting to freak out. Like, did I put it up top? Where's the green I, jacket? It's just sitting on a chair at the airport. I mean, you did lead into my question. Like, but my biggest question watching that, or seeing that picture and as you said, it's, it's Matsuyama on his own in the airport, nobody around him, waiting for his flight. Uh, you know, he's, he's on his phone playing around, and the jacket is draped over a chair in the gate. What do you do with that jacket on the plane? I think that was my that was my question that I saw. 
Like, do you, do you just jam it into the overhead compartment? Do you buy an extra seat for it to sit next to you? Do you hold it on like on your lap? All good questions, dude. I don't know what you do with it. I, I think you probably <laughs> you probably try to maybe fold it and put it in the overhead and hope nobody jams their no oversized bag that they're carrying on instead of checking into the same compartment. I mean, I think that's my move. I assume he's flying first class. I would hope. I don't know. I just I love the thread on this picture uh, you put out there, and uh, there's a lot of people who are like, "That's not him." Like, <laughs> I maybe maybe it's maybe maybe it's not actually the master's jacket. It looks like the master's jacket with the crest. It's somebody that looks like him that also won a green jacket. I, I mean, that seems far fetched. I know. I know. These things get crazy. Well, right, so also, just enjoy it. also trending, uh, Golden Knights sweep the weekend. Uh, certainly two different types of games, huh? Uh, what happened at the end of the first game against the Yotes? Uh, what, I mean, the, the wild rally? I mean, the, yeah, the, just, the, just kind of letting the foot off the gas pedal. Yeah, I think it was I think it was that. I think you're up 5 nothing. Uh, the Coyotes you know, cut it pretty quickly to 5-1 after that, and then um, you just kind of got a little bit loose, and the Coyotes put a lot of pressure on the Knights. I think they were very frustrated. Uh, with how the game was going, and um, I, I actually think it kind of carried over uh, in some regard. Like I, I think the Coyotes put so much effort and energy into trying to make a furious comeback that had really no hope of being completed that it drained them for Sunday. And I think they, you know, they, they got all of their uh, energy that they could have used to kind of, you know, try to bounce back and even the series on Sunday. They used it up in the uh, in the third period on Friday night, and then they just had nothing yesterday. They there was no punch, no energy, nothing uh, from the Coyotes. They they never got anything going, and even after falling behind in the game, I kind of thought it was one of those games that was very lethargic for the most part. There was some big hits and some near fights that were kind of exciting, but for the most part, the game was very uh, lacking in energy. And I thought, you know, when somebody scores, and this is often a soccer thing, so, you know, sorry to bring that over into it, but, like, the first goal in soccer just completely changes the complexion of the game. You know, one team is usually trying to uh, trying to play everybody behind the ball and play defensive, and, you know, once you give up a goal, then you got to start going on the attack, and it just opens up the field. And one goal just changes those kind of games. In this case, I thought, okay, if somebody scores a goal here, like, this game is going to really open up. And it just didn't. The third period, trailing one nothing, the Coyotes got like three shots off, and, and I think that was a um, a carryover effect from just putting everything they had into trying to make a comeback on Friday that you know never really had a chance to be complete. So seven four and one nothing, and uh, you know much needed, solid defensive effort, and uh, Flurry comes through with a shutout. Yeah, and you know as as Flurry said, he was often lonely on Sunday. <laughs> Uh, just didn't have, didn't have much work to do. The puck was very rarely in the offensive zone for the Coyotes. Uh, Flurry was just kind of sit, standing in his crease watching on the other end. But in the end, uh, you get the shutout. You made the saves that you had to make. And I think it was a, a key uh, result for the Golden Knights, seeing as how Flurry, yes, he had been struggling you know, himself, and his numbers had not been great over the last you know 10 games. But over the last six games, when he really couldn't get a win – there was no support at all. And, you know, we talk about run support for, with starting pitchers in baseball. Uh, there was just no offensive support for Flurry in his games. 
and yeah, it's not like he was losing every game one nothing, uh, but there was a lot of four ones and you know three twos, and there there just wasn't a whole lot of scoring going on for the Knights. Once again, no scoring yesterday for the Knights. They only got one, but that was enough as Flurry stopped all fourteen shots he faced and maybe started to build that confidence a little bit. There was you know a historic nature to it too. He, he tied a couple of uh, all time greats in some uh, some categories, wins and shutouts, and um, th- that's always a, a notable thing, and that's something we always see with Flurry who is close to the top of all those lists. But uh, really, I think that the takeaway for the Knights in this season is that, you know, they wanted to get some confidence back going. They wanted to get Flurry a win, and they were able to do that yesterday. Adam Hill, Steve Cofield, little NHL to start the show, trending at 2. In about 10 minutes, we'll get to uh, some of the horrific stuff that went on over the weekend in Minneapolis. And as a result, once again, real life crosses over into sports as we've had a bunch of cancellations but that, that is uh, coming up. The big news today around the NHL, uh, sure, in these neck of the woods, a sweep over the weekend, pretty significant for the Golden Knights. But uh, what do you think of trade deadline day, Adam? Uh, nothing major in terms of the Knights who went into the weekend thinking, hey, maybe maybe they'll really uh, go all out and get some help at center because of uh, you know Cody Glass and his issues. Um, what did they wind up doing? They made a minor deal. It was a three-team trade uh, to bring in Matthias Janmark from Chicago, who – uh, has not really been the most overly productive guy. He's, he's breaking out a little bit this year. Uh, some of the advanced stats will tell you um, that he has not been that great, but uh, you know he's, he's having a pretty good season and, and I think brings an element to the Knights that they really love, which is a ton of speed. And that is something that the Golden Knights have valued. And I think uh, they, they go out and get themselves a little bit faster uh, by bringing him in. It was part of the, the transaction that also brought Nick DeSimone from San Jose uh, into the mix as well. So uh, we talked about the, the Knights not having much maneuverability in terms of the cap, uh, but maybe they wanted some depth uh, on the blue line, maybe you know a, a depth defenseman, and maybe uh, a bottom six forward to help kind of spark some offense there. And uh, they were able to do both those things. I don't think it was the kind of names that people are going to get excited about. It's not the kind of names that people maybe hoped that they would go get. But the reality of the situation is they weren't going to be able to make a big splash anyway uh, in this trade market. And what we've seen over the last couple of days is, you know, teams getting other teams to take on some of the salary cap. And the Knights were able to do that a little bit here uh, with, you know, transferring some of that money over uh, to to San Jose to pay off and uh, being a little bit flexible with their salary cap situation. So a couple of players that I, you know, I think will, uh, you know, give a little bit of a spark in the locker room maybe. And, uh, you know, it, it's positions of need for the Golden Knights that they wanted to help fill. But... Uh, the last couple of years of the trade deadline has been the Golden Knights making huge splashes. That is not this, but it is, you know, a couple of moves just to kind of bolster some things. Cancellations today with a bunch of games involving uh, Minneapolis teams, the T-Wolves, the Wild, the Twins. No games today. They were canceled. We'll explain on the way back. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Now back to Cofield and Company. Live from the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. Adam Hill, games canceled all over the Minneapolis landscape. No T-Wolves, no Wild, no Twins today. The Twins released the following statement out of respect for the tragic events that occurred yesterday in Brooklyn Center. And following additional details in this evolving situation, the Twins have decided it is in the best interest of our fans, staff, players, and community to not play today's games. 
Uh, the decision was made by the Twins after consultation with Major League Baseball, local and state officials. A uh, Minnesota, Minnesota Twins organization extends its sympathies to the family of uh, Dante Wright. We're back in Minneapolis again, and we're back with a similar situation. Very depressing. And I wonder what the game stoppages will eventually lead to. Yeah, it's a fair question. I mean, I think the it's tough to argue that the stoppages are the wrong move. Like, I, I mean, I think that was a pretty – uh, a pretty easy decision to make and, and the right decision to just kind of let things let things settle down. Like as much as I think sports can be a healing force and uh, something to rally around and a good uh, you know a, a good you know uh, basis for everybody to kind of you know get get back to normalcy. It's not really time for that right now. So uh, I think it's a it's an easy move to say okay let's let's. You know, take a break here for a second. Let's uh, let's look at some things. Let's analyze where we are right now and exactly where the where the climate of the city is going to be, and and you know move on from there. But I think you're right. the 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 more difficult question and the more uh, important move is then what next? Like you cancel the games. Okay, cool. Now, like let's figure out where to go from here. When do you come back? How do you use this time? Uh, as an organization and as a sports community in Minneapolis to try to help uh, the people help the, uh, the city heal and, and all these other things. So that, that what, that's what becomes the more uh, important issue here. And, and I'm sure that those discussions are underway. And, you know, we know that, uh, you know, teams in Minnesota have, have been used to this all too often now. And uh, in recent times here to, to try to figure out how to use their platform. But um, it's just, it's, I don't even know what to say about it except it just it sucks. It just keeps happening. It's infuriating. It's exhausting. Uh, it's all those other things. But yeah, this is a especially while this trial is going on for this to happen is just brutal for that city and for for the country. The National Hockey League and Minnesota Wild today announces their release. Announced that tonight's game between the Wild and St. Louis Blues has been postponed. Decision. Made out of respect for the community following the tragic shooting that occurred in Brooklyn Center in Minnesota Sunday afternoon. Game has been rescheduled May 12th uh, in St. Paul. Uh, National Hockey League extends its sincere condolences to the family and friends of Dante Wright. Um, the latest update on this is that the officer involved in this case thought that he was pulling his taser. Yeah. And it was a gun. Yep. And this is not the first time we've seen this. Um, this has happened before, and it's, you know, I I understand that there is a there is a side, and and I'm sure that there is people out there that are thinking and and have even said like, you know, hey, it, it's a mistake, and it's a high pressure job, and there's so much stress, and in the heat of the moment, it's it's you know it's a very difficult, uh, you know, uh, it's very difficult to go through that process, and. Uh, mistakes can happen, and I, I I get all that to some degree. But like we've talked about this before, you're at a job that you're not really allowed mistakes, like, and, and it sucks that you know, it sucks that you have a job that's that high stress and and that's in, that's under that much pressure. Everybody understands that, but like you are held to a higher standard, and you you're not really allowed mistakes, and that's the the tragedies that result from it when when you do make mistakes, and it's you know. I saw the emotion of the police chief today talking about it and how it's unacceptable and, and everything else. And, and it is, and it, it sucks, but we also know 
what you know what this community is going through and how much this is just going to inflame situations even more like you just i know it, it sounds you know callous or whatever you can say about it but you're, you're just not allowed to make those mistakes in that job so the nhl got this one right uh what happened the other night with the huh. oilers so we just got through saying how easy it is to make the decision right of you know what this is not the time for sports Let's uh, let's take a day for healing. Let's let's step back and maybe if it's in a couple days for healing, uh, let's see what's going on. Uh, the Oilers had to attend the memorial service for their uh, their former teammate uh, Colby Cave. They had to do it virtually. Uh, they had to watch it together, and it was by all accounts. I mean, the, the memorial service was incredibly emotional, but by all accounts, the team was just in a really really bad place watching this. And, you know, gathered together and trying to heal together and trying to to fight through the emotions of everything that was going on. And then they had to go take the ice and they were destroyed with no. We talked about no energy in the Golden Knights game yesterday. There was just no energy, no passion, nothing from the Oilers as they got crushed in that game. And there was a, a thought of like, why on earth were the Oilers forced to play a game on the like just after going through this? Uh, as a team, what is going on there? Now, the answer is the, the NHL did schedule a day off for them to deal with this, but then they had to reschedule a bunch of games because of the Canucks COVID situation, and they just didn't have much you know, maneuverability in the schedule to give the Oilers the night off, but the Oilers were not happy with this decision from the NHL, and you know they expressed that, and I, I think rightfully so. I mean, that's just that's a tough situation to put a team in. I think you're asking a lot, of, a lot from guys um, to uh, to sit through something like that, and and uh, and remember your teammate, um, and see what they're going through, um, the whole family, and you know expect to perform that night. I'm not sure what uh, what the league was really thinking there, but anyway, um, you know I don't want to make excuses again. Obviously, I can't stress that enough, but. It's it's uh, it's obviously a hard day. It's a hard day for the K family. It's a hard day for Emily and her family, um, and it's a hard day for the Edmonton Oilers uh, and Boston Bruins organization. Connor McDavid, commenting there, not happy. Clearly not happy. It sounded like he was biting his tongue quite a bit too. Yep. <laughs> and and listen, you can't blame him. That that's that's a brutal spot to be in and you know it's a it's a not that the standings and the playoffs and all those things matter but like you know you're basically sacrificing a game to you know to go out there and play when you're in no emotional state to play and and i totally get where he's coming from it it just it sucks and it also listen we understand the you know what we're going through is in the NHL this season and all sports and trying to get all these games done and trying to navigate the waters of cancellations and, you know, COVID and all the protocols and everything else. And, you know, you have to jam as many games in as you can. we we'll get that. And they didn't want to have to play that day, but they had to because of a canceled game or canceled games from another team, but figure something out. Don't make them play that day, make them play, you know, four days in a row or something at some other point. But this is, this is just not good. Do you think there are people out there who listen to this 
And they're like, you know what? I don't really have any interest in my sports being mixed in with tragedies. Of course. Because uh, I, I actually encountered someone over the weekend, uh, a friend of the, uh, the SO, um, started kind of leisurely chatting about Colin Kaepernick and kneeling. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I just I kind of just bit my tongue. I'm like, I'm not getting into it. Um, and then went further to say, you know, the Golden Knights weren't part of it. And then all of a sudden they were and they got all political. And I just don't want my sports, you know, and my tragedies, my, uh, you know, my politics mixed together. Like, I, I don't think you can avoid it. Real life happens. They're human beings playing sports. They're going to react. They're going to get emotional. And who's to say, like, what, what is proper to talk about around sports and what is not? Yeah, I, I, I think that's, uh, you know, unbelievable to have that opinion. But I understand that a lot of people do. And, and I'm willing to discuss it. I, I was having a Twitter debate about this. Uh, the other day with uh, with our friend LV Cavi Chronicles, who was, you know, the keep politics out of sports take. And, you know, as, as I said, like, I'm, you know, I'm glad Jesse Owens didn't feel that way. And I'm glad, you know, other uh, other uh, activists and athletes of the 60s didn't feel that way. And I think of, of response of a lot of people as well. It's not the same anymore. It's not that bad anymore. Like, I, I, I think you're wrong huh? about this. How do you think they're feeling right now in Minnesota? Exactly. Exactly. And I think history will look back at this time uh, in a lot of, you know, even a lot of stuff that Colin Kaepernick did and other people did. And like, you know, 30, 40, 50 years from now, people will be like, wait, there was people that were on the other side of that. I have no doubt that that's going to be the case that in, you know, in 50 years, people are going to be like, wait a minute. Just like now we look back and it's hard to fathom. And it just is. It's hard to fathom that in the, you know, in the sixties in this country, things were the way they were and not only that they were like that but that there was people on the other side of that mm-hmm. and, yep. and I'm, I'm sure that people that were alive through that and even that did have those feelings now are like well i wasn't i didn't feel that way i wasn't like that and and and, and now you know they look back and say well there was only one right side to be on obviously and and now i think 50 years from now we'll see we'll say the same thing wait there was people that booed when colin kaepernick and other players were kneeling like what? There was people against that, and I, I think that's going to be the case in fifty years. I really do. Coming up next, we flip the page to some NFL draft talk. You know, every day we've been counting down up to the draft uh, next Thursday and going from pick number thirty-two in the first round all the way up to number one. Today is Giants Day, New York Giants with the eleventh pick. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak fourteen different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. It's time for Cofield and Company's Path to the Draft, presented by Weed Sellers. Weedsellers.com. That's weed, C E L L A R S.com. Let's do it. The 11th pick is up. It's the Giants. We got a lot of football news to get into today, aside from the Giants. So let's. Uh, Bring in Jordan Rannon from ESPN.com. He covers the New York Giants. Jordan, how you doing? I'm good. What's going on, guys? A lot's going on. A lot's going on. Uh, Julian Edelman, I don't know if you saw this in the last hour or so, it looks like a contract is terminated. Uh, looks like he's going to retire. Is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer? Yeah, that's a really tough one because and this is sort of like I always go through this with the Eli Manning thing. It's like, 
you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in you should be the, one of the best players at your position in order to even be in the running. Now, Julian Edelman has been one of the best players in his position, like Eli Manning, in the playoffs. The rest yes. of his career, he's probably not. Right. So, I mean, but if I'm going to say Eli is, which I do eventually think that Eli Manning gets him, gets two rings, Julian Edelman, who I believe is second all-time in playoff yardage, I guess I believe he's a Hall of Famer then, too. Wow. Okay. I I don't believe it, but I can I can make a difference uh, between Eli and Edelman just because of the position. And I do think it's important to achieve in the regular season. I mean, I know the numbers are different now than they used to be, but 620 catches and 36 touchdowns in a career doesn't really scream yeah. Hall of Fame to me. No, I get it. Uh, but, I mean, you, you can't just then leave. You, you, you can't say those numbers and then leave out the context of, okay, here's what he did in the playoffs helping them win how many rings does Edelman have? Three or four? Right. I got it. So I got it. You got you to factor that in. I mean, you can't just say, hey, look, here's what he did in the regular season and not bring up the playoffs. Same with Eli. Look, look, he's never been an all-pro in his life. But you, know, you, can't, you can't just say that and then not say, but he was Super Bowl MVP, been playoff MVP basically twice in his career. Let's talk about uh, Giants free agency and you know what they signed and how they spent their money, and it sets up our draft breakdown. Uh, first of all, did you hear some of the stuff from uh, people outside of New York about uh, Adoree Jackson and the money that was spent on him? Because apparently there were some other NFL people who were like, what are the Giants doing? You want to see my? You want to see the text messages I received at that at, right at, right when that deal went down? I mean, I'm telling you, it was pretty much the same thing. People around the league like, you know, WTF? I mean, come on, this is this is the year you're supposed to, you know, get uh, be able to take advantage of the market and exploit it and, and get bargains, not you know, pay a guy thirteen million dollars when I, no one thought that there was any other team out there paying ten. But yeah, the, the, there's I do. There was a big belief around the league that the Giants overpay. But the flip side is this team needs talent, right? And I don't think anyone's going to argue they're a way more talented team now with Kenny Galladay and Adoree Jackson on it. I mean, Kenny Galladay is replacing a 30, what, Golden Tate's what, it could be 32 right now? So a 32-year-old Golden Tate who's basically towards the end of his career. So obviously, at this point, that's a huge upgrade. And Adoree Jackson is replacing Isaac Yadam, who I'm pretty sure you probably... Never heard of him unless you were a Broncos fan and you, you despised him as a Broncos fan, too. So think about the upgrade there from like, it's like going from a sub starting level player to what should be, I mean, depending on what you think about him, both of them, at least, you know, good players at their position. So those are huge jumps for the Giants, two huge positions of need. So are they a better team right now? I, I don't know how you could say they aren't considering that those two positions in particular the jump that they made. And those are two important positions. This might be a weird question because it's one we get about the Raiders all the time, and I never know how to answer it because I just don't know. But I'll ask you, what was the plan? Like, what was the Giants' plan this offseason? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think their plan was really to make one big addition. Their two biggest needs were edge rusher and wide like number one wide receiver. And so I really do believe, okay, we're going to address both those positions, but we can only do one really in free agency because that's the problem when you have holes at significant positions like that. They cost us, uh, you know, an S ton of money, right? You can't. You're not just getting a good edge rusher for like four million dollars. That's that's a really top end edge rusher. So it doesn't happen. So it, the way it turned out, they went after Leonard Floyd really hard, by the way. So. 
they were going to try and address Ed Rusher that way. Basically, Leonard Floyd had, you know, the money was similar, and he got to choose between the Rams and the Giants, and the Rams have been a good team. He plays next to Aaron Donald in Los Angeles. He, uh, I mean, that's a no-brainer, right? So he ends up staying there. The Giants then pivot, and they get one of their two guys at the big positions, and it was, ends up being Kenny Galladay. And I think the Adoree Jackson thing was kind of like, they didn't really fully know or expect a player that, they, that was still young that they consider could be a part of their future, being available at that position, and so they end up adding that. Now you look at the draft and say, okay, what do we need now? We still need that edge rusher. The draft, I don't, I don't know necessarily that it's going to be with pick 11. It might be in the second round. It might be a, a trade-down scenario in the first round because the talent doesn't exactly match up with the number 11 pick. But edge rusher is a position they're going to address and address early in this draft. So I, I am intrigued by where the Giants pick. They obviously need an edge rusher. As you said, they need offensive line, especially right tackle. They need some interior offensive linemen. They've got a ton of needs. I'm going to ask you a hypothetical that I don't think will have any chance of coming into play. But let's okay. say Kyle, let's say Kyle Pitts fell to 11. They've they they got Galladay. They signed Rudolph to back up Evan Ingram. They seem like they've kind of they're kind of loaded there. Would they take Kyle Pitts if he fell there? Uh yeah. I mean, look, I talked to people around the league, and I, I, I and this was like yesterday. Like all different picks, people who teams that have all different picks around the league. I said, no, pick number 11. Tell me what players, non-quarterbacks, the Giants have no chance of getting that. They're definitely going to be off the board. And Kyle Pitts was in the unanimous, like, no chance he's there. So that they'll yeah. start with that. So if he is there somehow, I think that the Giants and most teams would have him graded much better than the 11th player. Let's say he's their fourth or fifth player on the board. I'm making up a hypothetical number. Right, right. I don't think they would pass. I don't think they would pass on him. They would then try and pivot and move Evan Ingram you know, and you could try and move Evan Ingram to move up maybe from the end, from the beginning of the second round into the first round or, be, you know, beginning of the third round and back into the second round and, and then sort of fill some of those other gaps elsewhere. So I, I do think that they would because the, feel, the, the thought and the feeling I'm getting from talking to people around the league, I mean, Kyle Pitts viewed very, very highly. Uh, I mean, yeah. you know, top five kind of player, especially for teams that don't have the uh, – don't put the extra – emphasis on the quarterback this year, which the Giants are in that category at this time. So well, that, and that leads into it. What, what is the, you know, the belief level right now in Daniel Jones? I mean, they're in on Daniel Jones, right? I mean, they just drafted him two years ago. He's a young player who has a lot of positives and they look at it and they see a lot of traits and they've seen flashes of a player that they think can be a really good quarterback in the NFL. Now, the flip side is he hasn't played like it, at least consistently, over his first two years. Now, this past year, he really wasn't given much chance. I mean, the, their Giants' weapons were definitely uh, insufficient, and that's why you saw them go get Kenny Golley. That's why, you know, so they're basically adding. I mean, Daniel Jones in the offense is adding, okay, Saquon Barkley and Kenny Golley to it this year. That should automatically make you a much better offense than last year because they finished – 31st in total offense last year. 31st in offense and scoring. Like, so only the Jets scored fewer points than, than, the, than the Giants last year. I mean, that's where their offense was. So they should be better. And this is kind of like, okay, we're going to find out this year what we really have in Daniel Jones. But they think, they really do believe, 
if they put the right pieces around him, this is a player that they can win with, kind of like they did with Eli Manning. Jordan Rannon, ESPN.com, covers the Giants. You mentioned Galladay, and that was a, a mega deal for Galladay. Can you explain the difference to me between Galladay and Juju Smith-Schuster? Because obviously from a paycheck standpoint, it, they were in different stratospheres. Yeah, well, here's the thing. The Giants needed an outside receiver, a, n- a number one type receiver who can get downfield and who can make tough catches for the quarterback, right, in, in traffic a bigger kind of guy. like, And that's exactly what, why Kenny Galladay fits for them perfectly. Juju Smith-Schuster, when you talk to teams around the league, okay, now Juju Smith-Schuster has a pretty good resume also, right? I mean, he, yeah. especially when, when Antonio Brown was there, I mean, his numbers were great. Uh, now there was a decline when he left. Uh, now it can't all be attributed to that. There's other th- factors that went into it. But Juju Smith-Schuster is a guy who you play in the slot and you move around. He does a lot of his damage out of the slot. Giants have a... Had a lot of skies in that position. Uh, you know, like, that was part of the problem with the signing of Golden Tate in the first place. Golden Tate's a slot guy. Well, they already had Sterling Shepard. He's a slot guy. So right. now they've got, they got rid of Golden Tate, but they still have Sterling Shepard. So he's the inside-type slot guy primarily. You needed somebody who could command attention on the outside. And that's the difference, at least for the Giants' perspective. Now, I agree with you. If you're just talking, okay, blank slate, Who's the better value? Kenny Galladay got like full value uh, on his contract, which is why we talked about what we said before. And I got was getting all these texts about like, hey, what the heck are the Giants doing? Who are they bidding against for these guys? They're paying, you know, eighty million dollars to to Kenny Galladay or whatever the, the final tally was. It was a lot of money and a lot of money guaranteed more more than I think most people are. It came out to like eighteen million a year, uh, more than most people around the league thought he was going to be able to get in this market, but. Uh, that's the reason they had that specific hole to fill, and the only receiver who kind of fit with the Giants were looking for a number one type receiver plays on the outside, can make tough contested catches. That was Kenny Galladay, and not Juju Smith-Schuster. So go, going back to our, our draft conversation about the Giants and picking that eleven, uh, do you think they stay there? I mean, we mentioned a couple of needs they had: rush, uh, edge rusher, uh, offensive tackle, <laughs> interior, interior offensive line. Uh, do you think they stay there? Do you think they try to trade out, trade down, pick up more picks? Where do you think they go with this? Well, let me just start by saying this. Do I think it's the right move if they can to move back, get more picks, maybe get an edge rusher that more like fits with, with where he probably sits on the board? Yes. But you have to put this caveat. You know, Dave Gettleman has never, as general manager, what, eight, nine drafts, whatever it is at this point. I'm, I'm not sure the exact number off the top of my head. But he has never traded back once ever <laughs> in any round so if you say you think the giants are going to trade back i would say i would bet against it he has literally never in his career in eight drafts so that's like let's say eight drafts six picks on average and that's probably low so in 50 48 selections 50 selections whatever he is probably more than that he has never once moved back so, I mean, you tell me. You you want to bet on that? You guys, you're in Vegas. You you you. Does that sound like does that sound like a good prop to you, well, Adam? You uh, I know, come on, Adam, well, put the money up. I know that the great uh, sports gambler Homer Simpson once bet on the uh, Generals against the Globetrotters because they were due. <laughs> That's kind of would be like, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, so I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be Homer, okay? If, they, if that's what yeah. you're at, right? In this, in this, it's not. I, I look. Joe Judge has changed 
organization a little bit. And they definitely have a little different approach. You saw it in free agency this year. They took some more risks on guys maybe that had injuries, but, like, they needed talent. So I guess there is a possibility. You know, the Patriots have been known, and that's where Joe Judge came from, <laughs> to be an organization that trades like crazy. So there's one end of the spectrum. There's the Patriots and the Eagles, I believe. They're, they're like the ultimate traders. And then there's the opposite end of the spectrum, which is like the Giants, which is that they only trade if they want to trade up and they fall in love with some guy, where the Patriots more like, all right, move back, collect capital, and let guys fall to us. Yep. Jordan Rannon's with us. All right, well, we love the bet stuff, so uh, let me give you a couple of numbers. Over or under win total. Now, keep in mind, 17 games now, 17 games. You know that. Yeah, but, know you that. Know, 17 games is so yeah. stupid, by the way. I mean, 10 and 7 doesn't even sound right, does it? It's going to take a while to get used to. So process here, the over-under is seven wins. Seven wins for the Giants. You going over or under? I'm going to go over. They could be a losing team and go over seven. You know? <laughs> I mean, uh, the division's not great. It's kind of set up for them to uh, rebound from last year, getting Saquon and Galladay, like I said before. That's a desert. That's a big boost to an offense that was really bad. They won six last year without those two guys. They get an extra game, and you're giving me seven. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say over. All right. And uh, who do you think should be the favorite in the division? The Cowboys are the favorite, but who's the best team in the division? Yeah, well, I'm going to – look, I'm, you, I start like this. Who's the best quarterback in the division? Is there any doubt? I mean, it's Dak, right? All right. All right. So, yeah. To me, they're, they're, to me, they're clearly the favorite. I mean, the, I, 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 that, it's really that simple. The NFL is built around quarterbacks these days. They have the best quarterback. Maybe Daniel Jones takes his game to a new level, but right now, I mean, he's way behind Dak Prescott. Give me the Cowboys. Yeah, like uh, from a value standpoint, the Cowboys are plus 110 to win the division. The uh, football team, dumbest name ever, uh, plus 260. Yeah. Our, our second choice, plus 260. Eagles are 5-1. to one. Giants are 4.5-1. to one. Yeah, I'm not a big fan in uh, – I, I, Brian Fitzpatrick, uh, you know, the bet on him overall. He'll be good for you in spurts, but I don't trust him over 17. I didn't trust him in 16 games. I'm not trusting him in 17. <laughs> so uh, tell everyone here, what, what do you guys have cooking for uh, – like, what do you have going on on draft day? Yeah, I mean, we just – you know, we got a lot going on. We, we, sit, we sit in the uh, – usually go to the facility, but I guess, you know, we're, we're working from home these days. That's, that's the new – like everybody else, like – you know, everyone does stuff from home, and that's, that's how everybody works. Uh, but, yeah, no, I'll be, I'll be pumping out draft stuff in the next few weeks. Podcast, stories. Uh, I'm interested in, in that edge rusher spot. We're going we're gonna to attack that in the next few weeks big time. And uh, Yeah, but I don't know. I'll come, maybe get some wings and sit, sit in my office and tell nobody they're allowed in for, like, you know, three days. There you go. Hardcore. Lock it down. All right, Jordan. Hey, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, man. Thanks, thanks for having me, guys. Have a good one. There he is, the Giants reporter for ESPN.com, Jordan Rannan. There's uh, two A's in Rannan. Well, R-A-A-N-A-N. And, uh, I was, you know, I was just thinking, Adam, about the, hey, we're not allowed at the facility. We're not allowed around anybody. Um, how much would the NFL love to do this, like, every year? Like, have their draft cat together, have their party, but have, have reporters to stay at a distance, just do everything from home. I'm sure they'll love it, and I'm sure I'm sure they're working on what they're going to do during the season. I mean, it's it's crazy that you know so many people are vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. I think I I follow everybody on Twitter. I feel like all the reporters that cover the Raiders are. Uh, I think I've seen all of them post up on Twitter about their vaccination. So, um, 
it's here. Like it's it's that really area right now where we should be able to go, maybe. But uh, I don't think they're ready for it yet, and we'll see what they do. I know the the NFLPA is pushing for virtual off season. So, damn, I forgot to ask Jordan about. Uh, I guess he had some difficulty with the second shot. Oh, that's I've heard I've heard a couple of those stories lately. Yeah, I think so, it's a good sign that it's working. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know if everyone wants to go through, uh, you know, a couple of days of uh, feeling like crap. Uh, that's not a good thing. Good thing coming up, and it's already up on the web, lvsportsnetwork.com. We've got a draft contest. We're calling it Drafting for Dough. Why? Uh, ESPN Las Vegas and the DeHart team, Nova Home Loans, giving out uh, money and a gift card. $1,000 to the winner of our draft contest and a $250 Raiders Image Store gift card. You make picks on the first round. You go to lvsportsnetwork.com, and you pick your first 17 draft choices, whoever is the closest with the team and the player, you know, logging the most correct selections. You get a chance to win $1,000 in cash on that $250 Raiders Image uh, Raiders Image Store gift card. Uh, it's all courtesy of the Nova Home Loans team, led by Dustin DeHart, Nova Home Loans, 877-700-NOVA. Deadline is next Wednesday, Wednesday, April 29th. Actually, it's a couple of Wednesdays from now, but uh, Wednesday, April 29th. Check that. April 28th, April 28th, April 28th. But to get in it, you just go up to lvsportsnetwork.com. It's right there on the front page. And then we'll have the direct link up at Steve Cofield, up at Ari Produces, at Adam Hill LVRJ, at LV Sports Network, at ESPN Las Vegas. Lots of uh, Twitter saturation on our Drafting for Doe contest. Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. It's Good Times with Mr. Sunshine, brought to you by Silver State Schools Credit Union, prioritizing people over profit. Good news for the Lakers, right? Adam Hill. <laughs> As it looks like uh, on the horizon, uh, relatively soon, we're going to see both Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Yeah, for for sure. I mean, uh, LeBron posted that Instagram post saying that you know the storm is coming, uh, and I don't think that was a Q reference. I think uh, that was the fact that they're they're coming back, and you know it's uh, it's LeBron and uh, AD out there together, and I think that there's less concern now. Uh, than there was maybe a couple weeks ago that the Lakers could potentially fall into a uh, uh, a play-in game or even miss the playoffs entirely. Uh, I think those have been wiped out, and and you know the Lakers are still the favorite to win. And uh, now with those guys getting back on the court soon, it'll be uh, you know full steam ahead for the Lakers. I would assume. Yeah, Lakers hit a thirty-three and twenty. They're five and six without LeBron. Uh, the win over the weekend against the Nets that was nice. One twenty-six, one hundred one. They blew them away. Uh, in the second half, uh, Drummond, impressive, right? Of course, he gets hurt in the first freaking game he's in. He toenail gets ripped off. He goes for 20 and 11. Uh, Schroeder had uh, 19. And, you know, the good thing for the Lakers is uh, even though they've gone five and six, you know, they one, they haven't completely fallen apart. Two, everyone behind them has pretty much played 500 basketball. So no one's really gained any ground, especially those teams at the very bottom, you know, the 8, 9, 10 slots. Uh, they've all played 500 or four and six, so – the gap between, you know, a, a monumental collapse from where the Lakers are down to, like, the 10th seed is still a nine-game gap. So, they're in pretty good shape. Yeah, I, th- I think I think they're going to be fine for sure. And, listen, the Nets win was very impressive until you realize the MVP didn't play. 
League MVP James Harden wasn't there. But still, uh, Durant was out there. Kyrie was out there. All the rest of their uh, superstar team was out there. And uh, the Lakers were without their two big stars, and they were able to win. And so, uh, yeah, they've been able to scratch together a couple of victories shorthanded uh, here in this last stretch, which which I think was big. I know when you know they had a couple of home games against really bad teams. Uh, I you know I, I think people saw that it wasn't maybe a big deal that they beat like the Magic uh, and the Cavs at home, but those were really important wins not only for building confidence but also uh, to make sure you didn't fall too far down in those standings. And now with those guys coming back soon, uh, I think that gives them a little bit of a boost even for the guys that are out there now to say, all right, it's almost time. Let's just uh, stay afloat here for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, one of the teams that uh, is in that area, that seven, eight, nine, ten range in the West are your guys, the Warriors, and they just they have made no headway at all. No. And, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing for this season, uh, but, you know, James Wiseman looks like he might be done, which he's he's had weird stretches where he's been able to play okay. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, people have kind of looked at him as a disappointment. Uh, I, I've seen some signs that, that, you know, he might not be uh, too bad, but, you know, this is a, a tough spot for the Warriors, who even though they're in the playoff race, as you mentioned, they're really just building for the future, and now you got to maybe shut him down for a while. Yeah, that said, I, with a guy who's 20 years old and has barely played in the NBA, I still want to get him as much time under his belt as possible. So yeah, that's that sucks. And the, and the yeah. injury to Lamelo sucks as well. You know, you know, if you're always kind of you can't you can't really look long range in terms of development with your youngest guys. They need they need playing time. I I, I know that's what you're saying. Yeah, for sure. It, 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 you know, I think you would look at it as this year. This year, okay, maybe maybe it's not a terrible thing that he's not out there. But, you know, for the future of the franchise to continue to build things, that's that's why you want him out there these next couple of months. Lots of decisions being made around the uh, UNLV basketball program. Uh, former players picking their new spots. We'll get you an update on some of the landing spots and also the uh, growing list of suitors for one Bryce Hamilton from uh, Power 5 programs around the country. This has been Good Times with Mr. Sunshine, brought to you by Silver State Schools Credit Union. Become a member today at SilverStateCU.com.